I Read Comics, show number 64. over the last couple weeks. Again, sick. Again. It's just pathetic. I know. Finally, I got together with David Arroyo from the Wonderful Comic Makers podcast on Skype to talk about some fun, fun, fun comics movies. So I hope you will enjoy this back and forth, and I will be back, hopefully, if the dreaded Lurgy doesn't strike me down again with <laughs> some more actual real comic reviews. I did also want to mention that I will be at, con- at uh, sorry, WonderCon, which is coming up really soon. So if you're going to go and you want to meet up, let me know and um, we can get together and the party at Isotope too. So here's me and David talking about movies. All right. So it's time for our movie spectacular. And in keeping with the theme of my show, the I Read Comics show, we're going to be talking about movies that came out years and years and years ago, not anything new. Because, you know, why would I review anything new? When does that ever happen? So thanks, David, for coming on the show with me today. Hey, no problem. So these were two movies that, that you actually sent to me out of the kindness of your heart. And Yeah, because I, I feel that, um, you know, I could send you good movies. <laughs> But that's boring. Let me send you horrible, horrible films that you can make fun of, like, forever. Well, I appreciate that. Now, I understand about the Fantastic Four movie. In fact, I think we had been chatting about it or emailing about it at some point. Um, Mm -hmm. But this other movie, this Women Who Love Comic Books, where did you hear about this? Oh, my God. Okay, so I'm walking – I moved to New York, guys, um, and – I've been exploring the city a lot and hitting a lot of the comic stores. And I went to Midtown Comics. And Midtown Comics is a really huge chain of comic stores in New York. And they have a a really big variety of DVDs. And I'm looking at their new DVDs and I see this thing called Women Who Read Comics, Comic Book Pajama Party. And I just, from seeing that, I was like, oh, I have to get this. You know, because I thought of you immediately. (laughs) And I was like, I have to get this. So then I picked it up. And then when I picked it up, I finally got to the back of it, and it's such so sleazy sounding <laughs> that I literally, I literally had a half hour conversation where everybody at work, because we at work we all go to the cafeteria and eat and just you know chat around and stuff like that, and I, that was literally the topic of conversation for like a full hour of like how horribly sleazy it sounds and how completely pathetic. But yeah, that's why that's why I heard about well, that, it. That's amazing. Um, for I'll put up a link to this. I'll probably even show what the cover looks like. Um, on the front it says "Comic Book Pajama Party," and there's a little sort of uh, anime-ish drawing of a, a a little girl superhero with pink hair, and mm-hmm. then it says "Women Who Love Comic Books," and the O in love has a heart in it. And then underneath it, there are some stills of the women who actually appear in it, and then in the background there are. Kiss prints, like lipstick kiss prints that are not too visible, but you can see them if you look hard enough. Yeah. My, my particular favorite part of the cover is the, is the, <laughs> the quote of Joe Quesada. And, and, you know, just complete sleazeball sounding quote like, you know, I have to, I have to hide this from the, from the other Marvel bullpen guys because they love it so much. Yeah, because they take it to yeah. their cubes and they sit there jacking off over it when jacking they should write. Jacking off to it, yeah. yeah. So, gross. <sighs> So, uh, yes, I agree with you. It's pretty sleazy all around. So, 
Um, I watched this and then I, I browsed around a little bit online and I, I found very few references to it apart from a couple of stores where you can buy it. So it's still available. Mm -hmm. You can get it on Amazon and some other places. Yeah. You can even get it on Netflix, actually. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, all you Netflix people out there, you too can watch this. Yeah. But what I was thinking as I after I watched it, it's like, why, why did this get made? What was the point of making this movie? Aside from the obvious overall sleaze factor of having women in pajamas talking about comics. What were these guys trying to do? And, and it was made by guys. So it's completely, it was made by guys. Yeah. Um, I think what's really sad about it is that a lot of the girls are very, are actually interesting people. Yeah, they are. You know, they're very interesting. They're smart girls and stuff like that. It's just really kind of pathetic to how retarded they were for participating in this because like I would have preferred if they, because it starts out where they're, where they're at a store talking the comics are talking mm -hmm. and i think that if it, they would have stayed at the store that would have been fine or if they did have like a get-together i think it should have been a nice dinner you know like a round round table dinner kind of thing going on uh but the fact that like they made them get into pajamas and play twister <laughs> was really sleazy and then there's like what i really hate about it is like i was just i just i watched it to refresh my memory last night and I literally didn't notice this the first time I saw it, but there are scenes where they literally zoom in on their ass, and, you know, and on their tits as well. There were a couple, and on their tits as well. And I was just like going, like, what, what the fuck, guys? Seriously, you know. And then there's then they put like little comments of like, for example, um, no, you know, they put like little, you know, um, how can I say it? Uh, subtitles like making like crude jokes and stuff like that, like trying to sexualize it and stuff, and um. Yeah, it's really, really horrible. Yeah. So uh, I'll recap a little bit for people who might inter be interested in watching it. It, it is um, – how many women? Let me count them. There's a little picture on the front. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So there are eight different women here, and they're um, fairly diverse. There's mm -hmm. um, a couple of black women. There's an Asian woman. There's women who are older. There's a, a couple of girls who seem pretty young. And mm -hmm. as you said, they start by focusing on a comic book store, which I got from the uh, – credits is uh in philadelphia it's atomic city comics in philadelphia where they filmed that opening sequence and yeah. they all talk a little bit about why they like comics and how they got into comics and that was pretty interesting and then they have as you said this total contrived situation where they go to the one woman's house to have a pajama party and they are in fact in pajamas and i i'm glad at least that they most of them were wearing reasonable looking pajamas like what you might actually sleep in yeah, but it's a little silly. Which I'm sure disappointed the guys are actually filming. Uh, <laughs> but they're having a pajama party in the middle of the day. It's clearly daytime outside, like you can see. It is clearly daytime. Yeah, sunlight through the windows. And I was also a little annoyed that they focused also on you know, oh, here are these girls who get together. What are they going to do? Well, they're going to talk about comic books, and then they're going to pig out on chocolate because. Of course, that's what you know. Women do when no one is around is that they pick out on the forbidden thing, the chocolate that you know, and whipped cream, and whipped cream yeah. and cheesecake. It's like, okay, do we have to have the emphasis on the food part of it? <laughs> that was just weird. Um, the other things, so and then they talk, and it's about uh, forty-five minutes worth of them. And at one point, um, they kind of break off into two separate groups, and some of the women go and talk um, more about anime, and then the others are talking more about uh, some mainstream comics. 
Um, overall, the sound is horrible. It's really hard to hear what they're saying in a lot of parts because they're talking to each other. They're in a group and their voices are overlapping. It's hard to hear what they're saying. And, and they're not really well mic'd, uh, no, apparently. No, not at all. And then the camera work is really iffy. Uh, there are parts where it's pretty good and then there are parts where it kind of wanders off and you're not sure what you're supposed to be watching and the editing is not good. And then, like you said, they have these snarky subtitles that sort of comment on what they're saying but sort of not and you're wondering why they're there uh, there's also some pretty lame narration that attempts to explain a little bit about some of the comic books that they're talking about especially the uh, anime and manga stuff which I'm guessing they figured nobody would be familiar with so they don't have uh, a section that explains who Wonder Woman is but they do have to have a section to explain what Cowboy Bebop is because I guess, and Big Giant Robo yeah yeah, also. yeah so that was weird the one good thing that I liked about this is that they talk all about different comics. So they talk a little bit about Marvel and DC, but they talked about lots of independent stuff. And I was making a list of some titles. So they talked about Preacher. They talked about Cost of Living. talked about Elseworlds, Blade of the Immortal, Transformers, Cowboy Bebop, Ranma, um, One Half, Hellblazer, Inhumans, Liberty Meadows, Strangers in Paradise, and then some title called Bathroom Girls that I'd never seen before. Which Actually, really yeah, my friend was a, was a really big fan of Bathroom Girls, <laughs> and I was really surprised about that. That looked kind of cool. So it was nice to see so many different things discussed, but it, it's kind of pointless. It's like when you sit around with your friends and talk about comics, it's really fun and interesting because they're your friends. If you're sitting around listening to somebody else's group of friends talk about comics, it's not that interesting because they're not your friends. And there's actually a point in the, in the film uh, where it actually gets serious and actually start to cut, discussing violence in comic yeah. books. Uh-huh. And I thought that was really interesting, and then they cut it. Yeah. They cut it because I guess like, the filmmakers go, oh, that's, that's too boring. No one wants to hear about that. And they cut it to like focus on the girls talking about Big Giant Robo and anime and stuff, you know, and zooming in on their tits and their ass, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So it's just a very weird sort of movie. And I, again, I don't know why they made it. And I don't know what they were expecting people to think. There are some things in it that are just wrong. Right in the very beginning, they have some narration that says something about, you know, oh, women are just starting to read comics now, and that's just so patently untrue. You know, mm-hmm. there have been women reading comics ever since there were comic books, and especially in. Well, in- they, they said they were. They, what essentially they said was, uh, women who read comics before were reading only Archie romance comics, yeah. and and um, and that's it. Yeah. And that 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 was it. And that only now is is when they're starting to like uh, you know read different types of comic books, which is bullshit, but whatever. It's complete bullshit. So um, big, big negative points for them for just being factually inaccurate for that kind of stuff. Um, And then, as you said, they play Twister at the end. Now, I was going to ask you, when was the last time you played Twister? I've actually never played Twister. (laughs) Uh, I've never played Twister. Uh, I was never a big fan of actually playing anything that involved me um, literally almost you know, breaking my leg uh, and having somebody's ass in my face. <laughs> Never actually played Twister, okay. so. Well, the last time I played Twister was probably <coughs> even before high school. And if I ever played Twister in high school, it was when I was with my friends and we were really, really drunk because it's not the kind of game that you want to play. So you got drunk before high school. That's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> 
like like right right on the cusp of high school. Like in eighth grade, Lena was like you know downing Jack Daniels, no, going, was, "Let's do Twister." It was yeah. in, it was ninth grade, and it's because I went to a Catholic high school for one year, and everybody who was in that high school was either high or drinking all the time because that's the way Catholic high schools are for the most part in New Jersey anyway. Um, okay, but. It's not the kind of thing you do for fun because it's really not that fun. And as I was watching the movie, I was thinking, I bet they're really drunk. They had to get them really, really drunk to actually play Twister on camera because it's just not that much fun. I don't know about uh, getting them drunk, but I don't think they were honest with them on how the movie was going to turn out. I think Mm -hmm. uh, there's probably footage of them actually talking about different topics, being really smart and stuff like that. But it was probably, probably been cut out. And I don't, I, you know, I highly doubt um, they realized that they were zooming on their ass and their tits uh, at all. So, uh, so I don't know. Um, they don't ever say their last names, which I thought was kind of interesting. They only identify them by their first names. And even in the credits, they don't identify them by their last names. And I'm just wondering who they, they are, you know? Did any of these women go on to become... Um, comic book writers or artists? Because a couple of them are artists and say that they are interested in doing this. Any of them blogging right now? I would love they to could know. Blog. They could be blogging. I don't know if they actually have gone on to have careers in comic books, but I, I, do, I do think they could be blogging for all I know. That would so. be cool. I would love to get in touch with one of the women who is in this to ask them what, what the deal was, how it was presented to them, how pissed off they were when it came out. It would be great to know all that kind of stuff. I looked all over the web and I just couldn't find anything. But maybe one yeah, of I them, couldn't find anything either. Yeah, maybe one you of know, the Because what's really sad about it is that they're all very interesting women, you know. And you can see you can see that, but since they weren't treated in any positive light, and that's the that's the real yeah. tragedy about so, that. So absolutely, I thought they were all really smart. They were really funny. They were joking about all kinds of fun stuff. They were mentioning all of the things that they're dissatisfied with um, mainstream comics. That is everything that women now talk about with the unrealistic figures and situations that they get put into. And they also did talk a little bit about the stereotype that women have to love manga and they have to love. Uh, relationship stories and some of them just aren't into that and they say I like violence I like lots of gore because that's true there's just lots of different people out there mm-hmm. um, so for all of the interesting stuff it's actually not a very interesting movie sadly and it's one of the only things that's out there I've ever seen that has any kind of uh, like interviewing women about comic books in a movie as, yeah as I mean I the know. only yeah, well, I mean, the only thing that I've seen that's similar to that is probably uh, a documentary on Colleen Duran um, that I actually have. Uh, I picked up on Small Press Expo. So that's pretty much it. But, yeah, sadly, that's that's the only DVD I've ever found. Um, yeah. At least it's sold in, in mainstream comic stores. Yeah. So. Oh, well, thanks yeah. very much for that. No problem. <laughs> uh, okay, so now let's talk about something really, really, really bad. And this is the Fantastic Four movie, not the Fantastic Four movie that came out in 2005. This is the Roger Corman. Roger Corman, 1994. And I remember when they were filming this movie and how excited I was that there was going to be a Fantastic Four movie. And then, um, as most people might know, this movie was never, ever released. And the version that you sent me is a bootleg. Uh, It's funny. It says Criterion Edition right on the front. It was (laughs) produced by Criterion, you know. Um, And... 
I, it's still not available, right? You, you can't get an official copy. Of no, it. you can only get it like in bootleg. That's it. Yeah, uh, and the bootleg you sent me has a bunch of other really funny stuff on it, like old Fantastic Four cartoons from the. In a power pack, in the power pack live power action pack. pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, I read somewhere that Stan Lee said that this movie was actually never meant to be released. That they only made it because the people who had the rights to it um, needed to prove that they were going to do something and if they hadn't made a movie the rights would have expired and they would have gone off to somebody else so the whole exercise was really just trying to retain the rights to the characters to make a movie i don't know if that's true but that's what he said mm-hmm. that's that I mean well it makes sense because uh roger corman doesn't really care how his movies are perceived <laughs> if you've seen any of his films so i'm pretty sure he would have released it if he wanted to but i i guess that it was never really meant to be released and it's such a horrible horrible film <laughs> god where to start i mean it makes the previous film we were talking about oscar worthy <laughs> in comparison so but, um, yeah. did you rewatch this recently in preparation for talking about it i've seen it twice really because yeah i've seen it twice because i saw it once when i first got it and then i saw it Again, when we were talking about recording uh, a show on this uh, a couple months back, mm-hmm. and I have detailed notes about it, so you know which I've lost, but I do <laughs> have—I sadly have that movie burned into my into my memory, which I don't want it to. But yeah, it's really bad. I have to say that starting out, I don't know, but it was kind of slashy. It, it, am, am I <laughs> am I just saying this? But like, I I kind of. Got the vibe that like Ben Grimm was like in love with Reed Richards at one point, you know. I, I totally he agree. Kept giving him this, he kept giving him these like dreamy eyes of like, hey, it's okay, it's okay, you know. Not, when not he got only obsessed. that, but um, Victor and Reed definitely have some kind of other relationship going on because they are way too close for comfort. And then at the crucial point where they're deciding that they're going to go on with this super top secret experiment, they're gazing deeply into each other's eyes. And then they have a very yeah. non-manly hand clasp, which seemed very, very significant to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I, I love how Sue goes from being a 12 year old <laughs> to a 30 year old and literally drew in like <laughs> literally one scene to the next, you know, which I was like, you know, Oh, horrible. It was creepy. Horrible. That was totally creepy. So uh, let's see. Recap the plot real quick. It's supposed to be the origin story of the Fantastic Four. So uh, <laughs> it starts off with Reed and, and Victor in college together having this relationship. Um, and for some reason, uh, Sue and Johnny live with their mom who runs a boarding house. Like, I don't know where that came from. Is that really canon? Yeah. Is that canon? I didn't think No, that it's not. Canon. It's not canon at all. No, you know. Um, and... Johnny is like a seven-year-old, yeah. and and Sue is like a twelve-year-old yeah. with a crush, and Reed, who's, you know, he, in college, I guess you're eighteen, but he looks he looks dirty, you know. Oh yeah, obviously they didn't make any attempt um, to do that. So uh, something happens. There's some cosmic thing called Colossus, and I was like, wait, that's not Colossus, is it? No, it's just called Colossus because people who made the movie were too stupid to realize that Colossus was actually the name for a real character who wasn't in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. so something happens, Victor gets blown up and everybody thinks he's dead, but he's not. And then he goes away and then it's 10 years later in the next scene and Sue is all grown up and still has a crush on Reed and Reed is now hooked up with Ben and they're, what are they doing? They're like going into space and they decide yeah, to, to use yeah. Sue and Johnny instead of real astronauts because, <laughs> yeah. because why? Because they have, they have no experience whatsoever. <laughs> 
No experience whatsoever. And the mom calls them like has like the horrible line where she goes, "It's a Fantastic Four." You know, she looks and says, "It's a Fantastic Four. And you just go, "What? Where did that come from?" You know, horrible, horrible dialogue. Yeah, so, so. so that that happens, and then uh, we get introduced to Alicia Masters because uh, they're in the Baxter Building, and Ben smacks into her, and nearly breaks her neck. <laughs> she falls on the ground, and he picks her up, and whatever. She's a yeah, such a drama queen too. Very, she like gets all and stuff. Really horrible actress. But then there's this whole subplot that I didn't understand that I was really hoping you could explain it to me. Mm-hmm. There's this gnome guy. He looks like a deformed leprechaun and he's called yeah. the jeweler and he decides that he's going to kidnap Alicia. What is up with that? Like why is he there? What is that whole plot about? I totally didn't understand that. I think he was supposed to be the mole man. Really? And, yeah, I think he was supposed to be the mole man. <sighs> And, um, you know, on the comic books, Mole Man has a thing for Alicia. So I think it was supposed to be Mole Man, but they changed it to the jeweler. I totally you know? didn't get that. Thank you for explaining that to me. I was very confused. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he, and he it's hard. He, like, he, he, like, has his, like, little kingdom full of, like, uh, homeless people, you know. And he tries to use them, he tries to use them like an army, which is, like, the most ridiculous thing. Because if you've seen a homeless person... <laughs> Yeah, they stink, and you don't want to be anywhere near them, but you don't really think they're going to kick your ass, you know? No, it's true. They can't take care of themselves, most of them, unfortunately. So how they would get together to kick anybody's ass is just beyond me. Yeah. Yeah, and they try to go up against Dr. Doom, which is, like, ridiculous. Yeah. And what I love about Dr. Doom is he talks like this. <laughs> because they didn't have money to do a voiceover, so you literally are hearing the, 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 the sound of the actor between masks. It's very so his, bad. his voice sounds very muffled it where there's times when you just go what the fuck did he just say <laughs> so not only is the sound bad and especially the sound when doom is talking but because it's a bootleg it's probably a you know three thousand thousandth generation copy of yeah. this it's the colors are just really muddy it's it's kind of like watching uh, a movie in a sauna with a <laughs> bunch of chain smokers you know it's, it's just <laughs> dark and steamy and it's very hard to see what's going yeah, on yeah and there's times where, where like the sound goes and, and the dialogue isn't synced particularly well with the action on the screen again because it's a bootleg and it was probably made from a bad VHS tape you know 10 years ago or something um, yeah so that aside that that's not a fault of the filmmakers that's just uh, because of the copy that you can get um, he, here's the thing that I really didn't understand so stuff happens uh, the Fantastic Four go into space, but then they get hit by cosmic rays and then they come back and they find out they have superpowers and Doom is still after them because he hates Reed and blames him for what happened and he was in this accident. And um, he, he has two goals. One, he wants to kill all the Fantastic Four and two, he wants to steal this um, really big, I guess it's a diamond. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be a diamond. He wants to steal that from Reed, but unfortunately the jeweler had stolen it first. So that's the complicating subplot there. Which is why they get superpowers because when they right because of yeah. something. Um, he he put a fake he put a fake jewel into and took the real jewel. Yeah. So the cosmic rays hit the jewel. The, the jewel was supposed to absorb the cosmic rays. Oh, is that what happened? Was, okay. Yeah, the jewel was supposed to absorb the, the cosmic rays, which you know makes perfect sense. <laughs> um, and and since it was fake, it actually melted, so that the the rays actually entered. All the curve, mm-hmm. you know, right. like turn them into the Fantastic Four. 
they got their stuff. So, so here's the the part. Um, the the Fantastic Four somehow, after they crash land and they discover they have powers, um, get taken to Doom's castle in Latveria. I don't. I didn't understand how that happened at all. It's not really explained in the movie. You know, did did he airlift them out or what? Like, they just cut. Like here they are on the ground where they crashed. Now they're in Doom's castle. And there's yeah. actually a very funny scene with a doctor who's interviewing them and asking them about their powers. And it, it's kind of like this weird interview thing. And that was an amusing part of the movie. Yeah. Um, but so he confronts them when they try to break out and he says, I'm Dr. Doom. Now, couldn't Reed put two and two together? How many guys do you know who are called Doom who are from Latveria? <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. Um really have no clue. I mean, he's so dense in the fucking film. It's it's ridiculous. And I I, I personally uh that scene where he where they're intro where where um they go to Latveria, well they crash land and I guess they crash land near Latveria. I'm not exactly sure what the deal Didn't is they there. Say? Yeah. Um but what I love about it is how when Ben becomes a thin, it's literally like you the camera pans to one side and pans back, and there's a guy in a horrible, horrible thin suit yes. who can't lift his arms above <laughs> above his waist. And his you mouth know. doesn't really work, and yeah, yeah. Um, uh. th- so, um, I, I love the fact that in Doom's castle, though, that his henchmen, like his, uh, not the the scientists, some of them are dressed like Nazis, but some of them are wearing versions of his costume like kind of uh, stripped down versions with the green shoulder pieces yeah. and all that. But what they look like to me is if they had, um, if you could buy Halloween costume versions of Dr. Doom's outfit, <laughs> that's what that would look like. You know, it's like made of really thin polyester material and everything is kind of um, made to disintegrate after about a week or so. And then they finally do escape from his castle and he comes in to do some more monologuing at them and he looks around and he sees that they're gone and all his, henchmen are kind of knocked out laying on the floor and he goes huh (laughs) (laughs) and that's the end of the scene it's like (laughs) somehow to me that's not classic dr doom doom doesn't come into a room and go huh (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I know this is like this doom is is a very different type of doom you know i mean literally i'm i don't know Doom wouldn't go and fight the Mole Man himself. He'd send his henchmen. Exactly, yeah. You know. But he, you see him there, and, and like, the freaking Mole Man sends his fucking homeless people uh, against Doom, which is the most ridiculous thing in the world, you know. Uh. Um, and I, what I want to know is, what was up with uh, the thing becomes Ben at one point? That doesn't make any oh. sense. That he becomes, turns back and... He turns back, uh. into, he turns back into Ben Grimm because Alicia says she loves him. And then he runs away and he gets all pissed off again and then he turns back into the thing. Like, or guilty, yeah. For no particular reason. <laughs> they actually did that. There was a, a point in canon where that happened. Um, and I can't remember whether it was natural or whether Reed invented some special thing that helped him, but he could change back and forth between Ben Grimm and the thing, and it was the getting angry that made him do it. But it was only for a couple of issues, I think. This is a long time ago. So maybe they were trying to reference that? I'm not sure. Um, So then Doom decides that he wants all of their powers, like he wants to pull the special powers that each of them have, because if he has all of their powers at once, it'll make him invincible. And if he doesn't get that, he's going to blow up New York City. So he fires uh, a big laser 
to blow up New York, and Johnny somehow gets free and out flies a laser. So, yeah, he outflies light. Yeah, he goes faster than light, and, and in fact does save New York. And yeah, um, well, you know, you have to make he does turn into a cartoon. When he does that, <laughs> that's so. true. So he wasn't human at that point anymore. So the laws of physics don't apply to him. Oh God! And then uh, Reed and Doom have a big fight, and Doom falls over the edge of a. Uh, balcony or something and yeah it's a really ridiculous death the way that doom um gets defeated you know it's almost like you know some kind of bad comedy skit you know it was um and so reed is it it was like a cartoon actually reed is left holding his glove and uh, Mm -hmm. then they leave but there was a little cool scene i liked when he put the glove down on the edge of the wall there it started crawling by itself like its hand yeah that was funny um and that's pretty much it except for reed and sue get married and they're all wearing their Fantastic Four costumes, except for her, and she's in a wedding dress, and I didn't really get that. Like, are you not allowed to get married in your costume? You have to wear a wedding dress <laughs> or something. Um, uh, and, and that was pretty much the movie. It was – how long was this? This was over an hour, right? It was like 90 minutes. Yeah, it was like two hours. Yeah, yeah it was pretty long. Uh, what a really, really weird movie. It, it has terrible special effects. It barely has special effects. Some of them are cartoons. And the plot doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And it it just I, – I really have to believe Stan Lee when he says they made this to avoid losing the rights because I just can't see them making this as a movie for release, that they would actually want this to be in the theaters. And really bad acting too. Really bad pretty, acting. Pretty bad acting, yeah, unfortunately. And, you know, there's only two people that I recognize as – as actors in uh-huh. film, because I've seen him in other things, and that's Johnny, who he actually plays. Uh, he was actually in this um, TV movies from Disney that I used to watch when I was a kid called Not Quite Human. Uh, that's the same actor, which I have never seen him afterwards, so I don't know what, what's up with him. And uh, the girl who plays Sue Storm, she was in this movie called Love Potion Number Nine. Oh, okay. Which, yeah, she played. Have you seen that film? I know about it. I haven't seen it, but I remember when it came. Yeah, out. she has a like, really famous scene in in that movie. So, which you know, it's burned into my uh, consciousness. Um, <laughs> and the girl who plays Yunsu actually went on to be in Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, the TV show. Oh. She plays uh, Harmony, oh. uh, a vampire. Okay. So, yeah, interesting, interesting. Uh, and I, I would really love to hear what the actors have to say about the film now, uh, you know. Um, there is a page, I'll link to this. It's um, Someone has set it up, and it, it has a lot of information about the movie, including a little bit of reaction from the actors, not now, but at the time that the movie came out. So the guy who plays Reed is named Alex Hyde-White. I don't know what else he's done since then. I didn't bother IMDBing everybody. Um, Joseph Culp is the guy who plays Victor Von Doom, and he's the son of Robert Culp, who's a famous actor, and he kind of looks like mm-hmm. this old man. Um, Rebecca Staub is the woman who plays Sue Storm. Um, Jay Underwood is the guy who played Johnny Storm that you were just talking about. Uh, and Michael Bailey Smith played Ben Grimm. I think that the woman who played Alicia Masters was not actually an actor because she really, <laughs> she couldn't act. I mean, she couldn't, she couldn't act at all. No. You know, so she was like the director's girlfriend or something. Not quite sure. Yeah. Because her, her version of being blind was being, um, dizzy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing about this film that I did sort of – it amused me was that um, Corman is 
uh, kind of notorious for having this stable of character actors who he puts in all his movies. And they're, they tend to be very unusual looking people. And this movie was full of them. Like all of the people yeah. who had really minor characters were um, – they were kind of weird looking and they overacted a little bit. And they actually were more interesting than the main characters because they actually had some personality and some character. But all of the people who were like the delivery boys who had three speaking lines and some of Doom's henchmen and the doctor who does this funny interview, they were far more amusing than the rest of the people who were in it. Um, so if you want a copy of this movie, and I can't imagine that you would, but you can get one, you can get copies from probably the torrents, I haven't checked, but there's a guy who set up the page I was talking about who is offering copies to people if they make a donation to the Humane Society, which I think is a, a pretty nice thing to do. And he said in July of 2007... Uh, by doing this, he had gotten contributions for over $800 to the Humane Society. So if you want to give him 20 bucks to give to the Humane Society, you too can own a copy of this movie on DVD. Or you could hit eBay or any of the comic yeah. cons and stuff. But what was the reaction uh, from the actors about them filming? Um, let me see if I can find about something. Um, let me go back up. I, I didn't read it. It's a very, very long page. Um, and uh, as I said, a lot of the comments were... Uh, from the f- cast at the time that they were making the movie. Um, and they're just talking about how they were trying to develop their characters, uh, how much fun it was to be filming this. And apparently they did have a good time when they were making it. You know, they all got along really well and they knew that it was going to be a campy kind of movie. So they were able to go all out with some of the silliness. So they didn't think that they were trying to produce some Shakespearean epic. Um, yeah. And they just all seem to have a good time for it. I'm, I'm trying to think. So here's a, a note from the woman who played uh, the mother of Sue and Johnny. She says, I hardly remember much of it. My daughter was a baby and I was only willing to take short-term jobs. I know I was on the phone to home a lot checking on her. I do remember the costumes, hair, and makeup, which I thought were terrific. And I have absolutely not one picture from it. The casting directors were dolls and the young cast extremely attractive. It was, an exci- it was exciting auditioning at Roger Corman's company. Um, I felt bad when I read all the backstory about how they had no intention of releasing it. Those young actors and Alex Hyde White seemed very positive and excited about the success and future of it. I ran into Alex later as his son was at my daughter's preschool, but we never spoke of the Fantastic Four. I felt like that was a very sad episode, having never even finished it and sitting on the shelf somewhere. Someday I hope to see it, if if for nothing else, out of curiosity. And um, he sent her a copy of the movie for her to see it. So that's pretty much it from her. Um, yeah, it's, you know, too bad that they put a lot of effort. You know, I was looking through the IMDb listing and they have a full crew and a cast and everything. And it must be kind of crushing to work on a movie, even if you know it's a bad movie, and then find out mm-hmm. later that it's never going to go anywhere and it's just going to sit on a shelf somewhere. That That is sad. And they had no intention of ever actually even, you know, doing anything with it. That's like the, probably the most insulting thing. Yeah. So that's too bad. I could see that this would be a fun movie to watch if you had a group of people together at a party or you were going to do a mystery science theater kind of viewing of it. It's, 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 oh, you definitely have to do a mystery science theater kind yeah, of viewing of it. It's you bad know. enough to be good in that way, for sure. You should really suggest that if, if you ever go to, if you ever get in contact with the mystery science theater guys, <laughs> and suggest that's definitely a film that you should really, you know, do a, a, a commentary definitely. on. Definitely. That would be funny. Uh, so I'll put up the links to those different pages. There's also uh, 
on one of the pages, he's got some still images from a trailer that had been included on another Corman picture that has very nice, high-quality images from the film. And it's refreshing to see what it was supposed to look like after having mm-hmm. you know, watched the DVD, which is so muddy and awful-looking. And you can see that they were trying for a comic book look. The costumes are very bright. Doom's outfit is very shiny, and it's really kind of plastic-looking. You know, it doesn't look like metal at all. So they they had the right intention as far as the visual aspect of the film. Okay. So um, thanks thanks for that one as well. That was fun. No problem. That's like something that every comic book fan should see. <laughs> you know, it's, it's historically bad. You know. Oh, this is true. Okay, so um, let's talk about one more day, but only for a little while because it, I, I I think that um, it's doing it too much. It's giving it too much credit to talk about it for too much, and everybody online has already talked about it and talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, it's, it's, I just think it's a stupid trick to get people to buy more comic books. That's pretty much it. And so you're, you think that they're going to bring her back. Of course they are. They can't let her be dead forever. It's just a trick. And and for whatever reason, they need Spider-Man not to be married anymore. I don't get that at all, and I don't care what Casada has to say. You know, oh, he's going to be so much more interesting when he's a single guy. You know, that's crap. I don't think anybody really buys that. And the one thing that they've done is piss people off. I haven't found one positive comment in all of the blogging and everything. Everybody seems to be really angry about it. So, sure, they generated publicity and excitement, but I don't think they made anybody happy. Yeah, well, I mean, I, 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 what I, what I think the problem uh, about the whole situation is, is that for a lot of years, write, comic writers have not had the capacity to write Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they always write her as the whiny wife or the, you know, the, the, the liability to Spider Man. You know. They, they kind of portray it as negative light, which really kind of sucks because Mary Jane and, I mean, you'll testify to this, is a really interesting character, you know? Mm-hmm. And what's sad about it is that because, I don't for some reason, Quesada and a lot of the comic book writers and a lot of the fanboys are so afraid of women that, <laughs> that you know, they, 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 they just... Um, they feel threatened by her to, for, to a certain extent. I mean, my favorite Spider-Man book is actually um, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's a really great, great book, you know, because Mary Jane is such a great character in that book, you know. The, I mean, the book is centered around her, so, but, you know, it's, I mean, she can support her own book. It's been proven, you know. So I don't really understand. It's just, it's just the fact that, like, that, like, Peter's going to be single. Is that supposed to be interesting? No, not really, man, because I'm a single guy, and I got to tell you, it's not really that much fun <laughs> being a single guy, you know? Unless you're, like, this, like, playboy Bruce... Like, Bruce Wayne, I could totally see as, like, being a single guy forever, but Spider-Man, no. No, and no, it, I think it just... It goes back on so much of what was meant to be the development of Peter Parker as a character, and and that's what Stan wanted from the beginning with him was that we were going to see him grow up and get a little bit older and go through changes and have different things happen and people come in and out of his life. And just to take it back to some arbitrary point before he was married to Mary Jane erases all of the 
interesting stuff that happened to him. And as far as how they're going to reconcile this with the rest of the Marvel Universe, I have no idea what they're planning on doing about that. Lots of people have pointed out there's no way you can say, well, everything that happened in the last 20 years, it, it did happen, but nobody really remembers that he was married to Mary Jane. That was like a crucial plot point for a lot of things that happened. You can't just erase it and have the rest of Marvel go on the way it is. It's... You know, they they did it themselves by tying everything so tightly together, and now to just kind of erase it, it's you can't just drop white out on one part of it and expect the world to go on the way it was. So, I, I think yeah. that's going to fail really, really miserably. Again, pissing people off rather than doing something exciting. I mean, I just I just don't understand why you can just kill off Aunt May because seriously, what what a fucking mama's boy? Exactly. <laughs> so that's another thing. I mean, I. I don't ever want to be in that position, right? But you can imagine that some people might have been in that position where you might have to choose between um, somebody old and somebody young. And granted, they're not killing off Mary Jane, but they are essentially doing that. You know, they killed her off without actually physically killing her off. Um, Mm -hmm. How old is Aunt May? She's about 206 years old now, right? And she's not in good health. And as much as she means to Peter... Is he really willing to sacrifice his whole future just to give her, what, another couple of months of life maybe? Because you don't know. She could walk out of the hospital and get hit by a bus tomorrow or – Yeah. You know, it, it just seems like a, a stupid choice. And what would Aunt May say, you know, if, if she was able to participate in this decision? Knowing what we know of her as a character, don't you think she would say to Peter, I'm old, I've had a great life, you should keep your life and go on with it, and and that will make it all worthwhile for me. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, it's it's a betrayal of, I think, Aunt May's character as well, because she's always been um, the kind of woman who would sacrifice parts of her life to, to do whatever is necessary for Peter to have his. And I think if and when she wakes up, she's going to be really pissed off if she ever finds out that this happened. And she would say to him, why did you do that? That was ridiculous. You you ruined your own future just to have me live a little bit longer? That doesn't make any sense. Stupid. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> That's what I think Let's move that. on. Seriously. Well, I mean, come on. You know, I mean, I, mean, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, I just... It, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating because... You know, you, you read about these characters all your life, you know. Um, you know, I've been reading Spider-Man since I was like a 13 years old, you know, like 14. So it's really – I grew up knowing Mary Jane and, and, and Peter Parker. And as a fan, I feel betrayed by the company that I, that I, that I – that produces the comic books because, you know, it's not that I – it's not it's not that I don't want change. But I hate – I hate the whole concept of a reboot mm-hmm. Because I find it ridiculous because I, I think stories should progress. And this is essentially, you know, just saying, well, let's not change the character. Let's not make like, make the character grow. Let's let's take him back because it's more interesting, which, I, which is really ridiculous. It's really, really stupid. Yeah. You know. I agree. Well, we'll see what happens for this. I mean, I, I'm, as I said, I'm sure they're going to bring Mary Jane back in one form or another. And who knows? Maybe this whole thing will get retconned again to where this never happened or it's – he wakes up in the shower, you know, it, it's – who shot JR? <laughs> like, Dallas. Yeah, like Dallas. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that could happen. Anything could happen at this point. It's just okay. okay. So I wanted to talk a little bit about this book and I, I might talk about it more but I just wanted to um, ask you what you thought about it. So this is um, 
Batman, The Dark Knight Strikes Again, and it's Frank Miller and Lynn Varley. And I had talked about um, Dark Knight Returns a long time ago, and I really liked that book. I thought it was very cool, and I could see why it was such a big deal at the time. And mm-hmm. I heard a lot of mixed things about this book, but I didn't get to read it till you so kindly sent it to me. So Not sent to you. I actually had it to you in your oh, hand. That's, that's we right. Had... When, when we met up in New York, yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I know you said you hadn't read it for a while, but um, this was a really fucking weird book. And yeah. I, I have read online people saying either it's really, really cool or he didn't mean this seriously. Like Frank Miller meant this as a big joke. And my impression of this book is that he started off with kind of an interesting idea. And about a third of the way through, he just got really, really drunk or took drugs and put down <laughs> anything on the page to fill up paper and used a lot of big, splashy colors. But basically had no idea where the plot was going or what was going to happen and just drew whatever came into his twisted mind. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Okay. So here's a, here's the deal. Um, <clears throat> a couple, like a couple of years back, uh, you know, I'm friends with Tom Bean uh-huh. and Tom was telling me about how he went to WonderCon and WonderCon, this was a couple of years back at WonderCon. He was hanging out with Jeff Smith uh, from Bone and so and Kurt Busiek and George Perez at having dinner at Spar. And Frank Miller comes up and he's like all bitching and complaining. And they ask him, "Yo, Frank, what's wrong?" And he's like, "I have to do this fucking cruise, this couple cruise." And I swear to God, if I get one more person coming up to me asking me like when the sequel for for Dark Knight's gonna come out, I'm gonna go nuts, you know. And then. Um, we all laughed about it. I, well, like I all laughed. We, me and Tom laughed about it. Like uh, when he told me, and then a couple of years later, you know, it's announced that he's going to do a sequel to, to Dark Knight. To Dark Knight, you know. And I found that really weird because, from Tom's story, he sounded like he really hated the whole even idea of doing a sequel to Dark Knight. And then I picked up the book, and it was so bad. It was so, so, like, I only, when it, it came out in, like, little mini formats, right? Yeah. Little, like, it was, like, a issue miniseries. And I picked the, I picked up the first one. The first one was so bad, I didn't pick up the rest. Like, I only read it, re- only decided to read it recently because I found it in a bargain bin at Strand's bookstore. And flash forward a couple years later, I'm at XPX with my friend Juan, and Frank Miller's there. And Juan goes up and starts talking with Frank Miller. And through the course of the conversation, Frank admits that he, he, he was, he, that pretty much people were approaching him all the time to do Dark Knight 2. He didn't want to do it. And he kept, he kept saying, I don't want, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And DC said, listen, what money amount do you need <laughs> to do this? And he's and he's like, what? Like, if you write me like a blank check, and he goes, yeah. He's like, huh. <laughs> so he's like, apparently, his exact words to Juan were, uh, he goes, you want a fucking Dark Knight two sequel? Here's your Dark Knight two sequel. <laughs> and I guess like he had no plot, nothing. Like he had a general outline of a plot, you know, maybe because if you notice, if you if you read the book, 
even the art's horrible. Oh, the art is, you know, is the, awful. Oh, it's just ugh. It's like full of Photoshop, and there's no backgrounds, and it's these big splash pages that go nowhere, and the, you can, you see, it's confusing to read at times. So yeah, so I personally think that um, he, you know, from what I've heard from friends that have talked to him, is that you know he did this as, as a joke, as a big fuck you to. Uh, you know, everybody who asked for a Dark Knight 2 sequel. You know. Okay, well, so. let's go with that theory then. Um, <laughs> let, I wanted to talk just a little bit about the couple of cool things that were in here, because there are a couple of cool concepts. Cool stuff. Um, right at the very beginning, th- this is actually the coolest part of the book in my estimation. Um, we open with this story about a guy who is fighting a, a horrible sea monster, and he's been doing it forever and ever. And he doesn't think he's ever going to get rescued. And then he eventually gets rescued. And it turns out to be Ray Palmer. And he was being held. uh, Let's see. You've been trapped in a refrigeration unit stored along with experiments in marine microbiology. So he was being kept on ice literally by the government, whoever, in this little Petri dish. And he was having to fight these microorganisms, which to him were these, you know, giant sea monsters. That's actually really cool. I like that idea. Yeah, I, I thought that was really yeah, cool, it's too. it's a great yeah. way to open it. And it, that part's actually really well done, and the art is particularly appropriate to it because it's making him look, you know, like this haunted, hunted kind of guy. Um, and the idea that Superman and Wonder Woman would have a daughter is also very interesting. And there was something about her that I thought he, he got right, which is that because she's not human in any um, specific form, right? She's half Kryptonian, but also half Amazonian. And, you know, if Wonder Woman is sort of a god brought to life, she's not really human. She would have this kind of detached view of what humans are like and how she should interact with them. And, and that's an interesting idea, although I think it was very badly played out in this book. Um, but I want to know why Frank Miller has to draw every woman on every page in a very unnatural pose where her ass is sticking out, even if she's floating in midair. Yeah, like, yeah. It looks really and, weird to have uh, that. And and their waists tend to get tinier and tinier as the book progresses. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's really weird. Bent at a big angle. And what's up with his fetish for people wearing giant oversized boots? Everybody who's in mm. here has, like, these freakishly large feet with giant boots that are at the bottom. And it just... It's it's weird, very 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 weird. Um, so, needless to say, there's a lot of um, naked or semi naked women in here for no particular reason. They're sort of the exposition police, and they provide some narration for what's going on. And uh, in the end, it turns out all to be uh, Dick Grayson's fault, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gone crazy. For, uh, he's gone crazy, right? Is that, is yeah, that what he happened? says something about he he was. Um, uh, the, he had experiments. I underwent radical gene therapy. I can't die, is what he says. But um, not to give anything away, Batman does eventually kill him by throwing his body into a pit that's underneath the Batcave that apparently goes down to the center of the earth. <laughs> oh, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I think the most uncomfortable scene for me was the whole Wonder Woman Superman sex scene yeah. in the middle of the. So they're flying around wrapped up in Superman's cape and they're having sex in midair. And because they're having sex in midair, there's like earthquakes and volcanoes and uh, natural disasters all over the place. That's not very responsible. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then, like every every hero that's involved with um, with Batman is a complete uh, asshole. Yeah, you know, and they don't care. They don't care about how like why Superman's doing what he's doing because you know, uh, Lex Luthor and Brainiac have candor, mm-hmm. and they're they're blackmailing him. And I forget why they're blackmailing um, Wonder Woman. I think it's because they also have Demascara. Um, right. Right. I've, yeah. Something it's it's dumb and complicated and it doesn't really make any sense. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, um, it, it's true about the asshole characters. I was just looking at this section. Even the characters that are actually assholes in the comic books, like Green Arrow, is even more of an asshole in this book. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a horrible, horrible book. You know, um, I've really, I really hated it. I really, really hated it. You know, because Frank Miller. The problem with Frank Miller is that when he's good, he's great. Mm-hmm. But when he's bad, he's horrible. Yeah. You know, because if you read the, the new Batman and Robin book he's doing, oh, that's that's so bad with Jim Lee. That's oh, that's horrible, horrible yeah. book. So I I can say that some of the art is interesting. Most of it is really bad. Some of the concepts are interesting. The plot <coughs> is just very very confused and. Uh, doesn't really lead you on. And then, uh, you know, I have to say about three quarters of the way through, I just got plot fatigue because I was trying to follow what was going on and it was so complicated with all the superheroes being taken out of commission and all these half-naked women providing narration and and Lara, the daughter of Superman and Wonder Woman and and Brainiac and Lex Luthor and the Joker killing everybody. It's like, oh, stop, stop, too much, too much. Just have a plot line and follow it. And draw some backgrounds, goddammit. <laughs> so, okay, so that's enough of that. Um, I have some predictions for 2008. This is what I think is going to happen in comic books. Let me find this. I was writing this last night while I was finishing watching Fantastic Four. Okay, um, my prediction for 2008 is that um, in, in either Marvel or DC, a main character will die and then come back to life. Okay? <laughs> I also predict that um, women in comics will continue to have impossible outfits to fight in the superheroes, that is. That there'll be, you know, essentially duct tape or some string to hold them together. Um, I also predict that another superhero movie will come out and fanboys will hate it for no particular reason. Um, oh, we've seen Iron Man this, this Yeah, week, oh, I so. can't wait to see Iron Man. It looks so good. It looks really oh, good. Robert Downey Jr. And, is so perfect for Tony Stark. What a great cast. Yeah, he is. Yes. Yeah, and, uh, oh, hey, did you see uh, the Dark Knight trailer? No. Yeah. Ooh, I'll have yeah, to. Yeah, you, you didn't hear about that? I'll send you a link. Okay. Yeah, you can find. You finally see uh, Heath Fletcher as Joker, cool. which is great. I've seen the stills, yeah. but I haven't seen the trailer. Okay, cool. I'll have to go watch that. Oh, it's great. Okay. Um, I predict that Marvel and DC will make attempts still to be nice with the female fans, but at the very same time, they'll continue to treat the regular characters in their comic books really, really badly. Um, and finally, I predict that um, another character will either be introduced or uh, a current character in comics will be revealed as being gay and fanboys will freak out. So. Okay, so my predictions <laughs> for for the near future, I predict that uh, Marvel sales will, will begin to drop probably by fall. I also believe that uh, DC sales uh, will also begin to fall probably by uh, 
maybe later than Marvel. I think Marvel's going to be earlier in, in falling. Because I think the big problem that both companies are having is that they're they're doing too much at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing all these big crossovers, like mega crossovers, like every two seconds. And I think they're going to, I think they're going to push fans out. I think we're going to see another, another uh, comic book bubble burst again. Uh, because I think they're they're heading in a really bad direction. I do think that we're going to see more indie comics come out this year. Yeah. Yep, I'd agree with uh, that. Yeah. So yeah, that's my prediction <laughs> for. Well, year. I would say that between the two of us, we've pretty much got it covered, and all of those things are going to come true. There's nothing controversial in there. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, at least this year it's not going to be any bad comic, comic book movies because I think Iron Man's going to be really <sighs> good, and I think. I can't wait. Dark Knight 2 is going to be really good, yeah, too. So I hope so. But, you know, even if Iron Man turns out to be a great movie, there's still going to be fanboys who complain and, and hate on it just because they have to. Because that's their job, basically, is to say. But Apparently, you know, yeah. In this scene, uh, uh, 20 minutes into the movie, they got this tiny little detail wrong, and therefore the whole movie is invalid, and you should stay away <laughs> from it. In the first five minutes of the film... <laughs> We see that Iron Man's armor is actually silver, but in reality, the original Iron Man armor was golden. This does not compute. Therefore, <laughs> worst movie ever, yes. Worst movie ever. <laughs> yes, definitely. All right, well, cool. Well, thank you so much for doing the show with me. This was so much fun. I'm glad we finally got to talk about those movies. And we definitely have hey, more oh, movies to do, so hopefully... Um, yeah, we do. We we'll we do. do. Um, I'm hoping I can get you a copy of the David Hasselhoff Nick Fury movie. <laughs> cool, and and we definitely need to do V for Vendetta, so that's going to be next on the list because uh, I want to see what that mm-hmm. turns out to be. And the Transformers oh, movie. Oh, the Transformers Remember. movie, of course, of course. Okay, cool. Well, um, the cartoon. Yes. So, um, thanks very much, David. This was great to talk with you again. No problem. 